This is how I got my agent back when I was shopping around my memoir. This is Heart of the Story, and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm a writer and a writing coach who helps women develop and publish their memoirs and essays. But most importantly, I'm a human who's always trying to figure out what my soul is saying. Each week, I'll share stories and tips of healing, hope, and following my heart so that you'll feel inspired to follow yours. Hi, friends. So I am bubbling and bursting with inspiration because I just wrapped up teaching one of my favorite classes, Publish the Personal. This is maybe the sixth or seventh round of the class that I've taught. And writers from that group have been having such success that I can't even believe the news that's coming out of that class. It's a class where I teach people how to write personal essays and get them published. And a third writer from our community has gotten themselves into the New York Times. (laughs) It's amazing. And I'm hearing so many other bits of publication news from my community community members, people who are having their books published, um, people who are getting articles and essays on major sites like Sally Schwartz just got her piece published in Zibby Mag. Another person in our community, Madeline Murphy Robb, who is actually on this show as a featured guest. I'll link that episode in the show notes. She is a competitive swimmer as well, in addition to being a writer and an artist. And she and her partner in swimming have a documentary that was made about them recently called Team Dream, which follows 82-year-old and 77-year-old female black swimmers, the pair of them, Madeline and her fellow swimmer, and tells their story. And it's airing at film festivals all over the place. And it's just so inspiring to hear these sorts of stories. And more and more, it gets me thinking about how intimidating or scary, though, it might feel to put ourselves out there. And if you're feeling like, I want to shoot for the stars, and I want to pitch somewhere, or I want to apply for that job, or I want to star in a show or a movie or have my own podcast or what have you, and you just don't know where to begin, and you need some tips on pitching and throwing your hat in the ring, this is the episode for you. So I'm calling it Brave Day brave day. Because what I realized when I sat down to really think about this is that probably once a month, I schedule on my calendar a brave day, as I call it. And what I do on this day is that I pitch people and places that otherwise I would think there is absolutely no way that they're going to say yes to whatever I am pitching them about. For example, on Brave Days, I might ask to be on certain podcasts. So I I might reach out to certain podcast hosts and say, hey, if you're looking for a guest, I can come on and talk about XYZ. 
where I might ask really amazing people to be on my podcast and I send them a pitch. Or on Brave Day, I might offer to present at a conference or a big festival or at a retreat center. And I don't even know if they need anyone, but I'm asking them anyway if they do. On Brave Days, it's when I reach out to people and I either offer or ask something that feels really, really scary and like there's no way in the world that this is actually going to happen. And I have to tell you, I would say about 60 to 70% of my Brave Day pitches uh, respond in a yes or conclude with a yes. That's a really, really good percentage of just seeing what might happen if we put ourselves out there and hitting send. Because I realized long ago, actually, that the difference between us and somebody else who might want the same thing is that we're willing to press send. That's the only difference the only one. (laughs) We're all highly qualified humans in this world, but many of us allow the scary negative self-talk, who am I, to take over, which is totally understandable, but then it holds us back from at least just seeing what could happen. I always just repeat to myself, let's just see, or what's the worst that could happen? They could say no. Also, what helps me is that I always remember that the people I know that have had the most success have had the most failures. Writers I know that have had the most publications also have the most rejections. So I really just think of it as a numbers game. And when I'm coaching women writers to put their work out there, that's what I always say. Let's take the personal out of this and let's just think of it as a numbers game and get going and get as many submissions or pitches out into the world, proposals out there as possible and see what happens. And I love to just kind of sit back and then be doing my work and get an email and go, oh, yeah, I forgot I even pitched that person or that organization. And oh, look at that. They're responding. So today we're going to go through the different steps and stages of a brave day of pitching organizations and people and what that entails. So get your notebooks ready. (laughs) Okay. Very first thing, let's think about the power of the pitch. These steps work whether you are trying to get your work published, whether you're trying to secure an agent, whether you're trying to have some kind of media presence, you want to be on a show, a podcast, what have you, whether you're applying for a job, whether you're wanting to propose that you present for a speaking engagement. These steps work for any of those things, any of the putting yourself out there sort of things. The very, very first thing, make a list of what scares you in an exciting way. When you dream big and you feel a bit nervous, like, oh my gosh, I would love that so much, but there's no way in heck that that would actually happen, write that list. I want to know your what scares you list. Write it down. So maybe that's you want a certain job or role. 
you want a promotion, you want to speak at something, you would love to partner with a certain person, you would love to have that agent, you would love to see your work in that gallery or in that magazine. There is no judgment with this list and imagine that the sky is the limit. Anything could happen in this imaginary world on your scary list. So it's not, oh, I would I would put this opportunity down on the list, but it's really never going to happen. The likelihood is small. No, no, no. Just write it down and just have it on the piece of paper. Okay. So for me, that scary list looks like these are the amazing guests that I would love to have on the podcast that I want to reach out to. Or these are the festivals or conferences that I would love to be a presenter at. And these are the people I would love to speak with and collaborate with. And they seem huge and possibly out of reach. Or these are the places that I want to reach out to and branch out in a new way professionally. So when I kind of started blending both writing and wellness, wellness was the new area that I hadn't explored as much as I had writing. You know, writing has been really my whole life. I went to college and studied writing. I went to graduate school and studied writing. I have taught writing for 15 years. I've been a writing coach. I have published essays. I've published books. And so it's it is my whole world, whereas the wellness aspect, I've been living it and then started exploring certifications and finding my niche and what I love in the wellness space, which is yoga nidra and journaling and helping women. And so branching out into a new arena is what can go on the scary list also. It's like, oh, okay, well, people know me as XYZ, but I want to start branching out into this area. That's what can go on the scares you list. Okay, next. Imagine none of the logistics and practicalities apply to you and you're just going to navigate as if you have deep connections and all the qualifications and there's absolutely nothing that could hold you back. And this is where you're going to have to find out how do I contact said person or said organization? And this is where you have to do a bit of research. The number one place to start is your own network of connections. Asking your people who they know within an organization, within a space, or if they know the other person. So for example, say you had a podcast where you interview authors. Well, you might reach out to a writer's group that you're a part of and say, does anybody know so-and-so? Or you vaguely remember that somebody was a friend of somebody's sister who knew (laughs) so-and-so. It doesn't matter how loose the connection is, but start with your own network about, do you have any um, contacts here, any connections here? Try to also remember who 
might be willing to help. You know, maybe there are people within your friend, social, family, professional circles that you remember is part of an organization or has some kind of connection to a place and they once mentioned it and they once even offered to help contact you or connect you. Regardless of what it is, now is the time to ask for that connection, ask for that referral, ask for that introduction via email. So start with your own network. And if you need to, you can always start with taking a class or a workshop or going to a conference to get some FaceTime with somebody that you're hoping to collaborate with or connect with. So for example, a person is looking for an agent to represent them and try to help them get their book published, and they have no idea how to even reach this agent. They have no idea how to connect with them and and have themselves stand out in a sea of other writers. Well, one of the helpful things is that you can go to a writing conference where they have agent meetups and you're paying for a half an hour or an hour with that agent or editor. It is worth every penny because you're guaranteed the one-on-one connection time and you are guaranteed that they look at your work or that they talk to you and then they'll remember your face and they may even offer their email address to connect with them in the future or best case scenario they might say I love your work I want to represent you (laughs) you never know where a connection might lead so sometimes it is worth it to set up that FaceTime with the person that you're trying to connect with. The next step is to think about asking even when somebody isn't advertising. Here's what I mean by that. You want a job at a particular place or you want a specific position, but on a website there isn't a job description, there isn't an opening that you can see, or you want to apply for a scholarship, but a place doesn't advertise scholarships. When you want to try to get something, you don't have to wait for somebody else to open the door and put the offering out there. You can always, always just ask. So the last university that I taught at for many, many years started because I was teaching a class on memoir writing and I remembered that one of the people in that class was part of the university that was in my area that I thought, oh, it might be great to teach a class there. There was no advertisement on the website that they needed somebody for a specific position, but I reached out and I said, might you all be looking for someone to teach a creative writing class? And they said, yes. (laughs) And I said, okay. And so I started by teaching one class at that university. And then what do you know? Uh, Less than a year later is when the opening for a full-time professorship position came up. 
And I interviewed along with many other people and was eventually offered a position as a full-time professor there. But that actually all started because I thought to ask if they might need someone for a small thing first. That's the other way to think of it is that places might not always be advertising and it might first start small, whatever you're yearning for. When I was working at Chicago Magazine, I started with a very, very low paying internship to be a fact checker. A fact checker checks all the facts, makes sure that names are spelled correctly, dates and factual information are in fact what we think they are. Does this all check out in the research? Did this happen when so-and-so said it, it happened? A lot of times, it, it's just a lot of spelling work. <laughs> Is this place spelled that way? Is that person's name spelled that way? I mean, it can seem very unglamorous at first, but eventually I was able to write articles for Chicago Magazine because I started as that fact checker making $8 an hour. <laughs> so don't disregard the small step through the door that might lead to a bigger thing. And so even if they are not whatever place, they are not asking or putting a call out for something, even if a place isn't putting a call out for a certain type of essay, you never know if they might very well want your seasonal essay about... I don't know, um, your grandmother's pumpkin pie. Like You never know. You can always ask and just see. So ask even when they're not advertising and don't disregard the small step through the door. Then find the best way to connect, meaning what is the best method of sending your pitch, your ask? Is it through a submission portal? Is it via email? Is it via social media messaging? A lot of people nowadays do actually check their Instagram messenger. And that's sometimes how I've been able to connect with people when I don't know their email address. In person, Will you see this person at a conference or is there an opportunity for networking? And even, yes, the old-fashioned phone call. I still pick up the phone just to see who the best contact somewhere is rather than trying to do a big rabbit hole search on the internet. So for example, recently, I wanted to propose teaching a Yoga Nidra workshop at a wellness festival. And I didn't know where to propose. It didn't say anything on the website about taking proposals, when they were, how they were. I saw a phone number at the bottom of the website and I picked up the phone and I called and I left a message and the person called me back and she said, the person that you need to send your proposal to is me. (laughs) And I said, fabulous. And she said, here's my email. And then we got to actually talk and I got to kind of verbally pitch what I was proposing for the wellness festival. So you never know what can happen when you pick up the phone. I love picking up the phone and finding the right person that way um, because 
most people don't do that anymore. So it actually does help you more quickly figure out who is the best contact somewhere. Next, prepare your pitch, your ask, your offering, whatever it might be. The best way to do this, of course, is to have that proper connection contact. So because you've done your research and maybe you have a vague (laughs) connection or referral somewhere, the first place to begin is, okay, what is the best email address? And sometimes you might have to put multiple in there if you're like, all right, if so-and-so doesn't get it, maybe it can go to this person or that person. And then in the subject line of the email, put referred by, referred by. It always helps when, think of it on the other end, you are getting an email from a stranger. Doesn't it help for you to know that they got this connection with you because they were referred by someone you actually know? That always helps. So I always put referred by if I can in the subject line. When I start off the email, I always address the person by name if I can, if I have the correct name of who to contact at the organization or wherever it is. I mention that I'm grateful that so-and-so connected if there is a connection. If not, I just write one sentence of why I sought that person out, why they're a great fit. Anything that just shows you're a human who is really excited about whatever opportunity. You don't have to be a robot. You can be warm and kind and show your enthusiasm. I have loved this magazine and it's been on my list for years to have an essay here or show why you love them. If I don't have a connection, and even sometimes when I do, I always put why I love a particular organization or a magazine, etc. Like, I love your recent article about this. I love your recent podcast episode about this. I love the book. I love the author that you represented. Her book that was recently published is amazing. So showing why you're reaching out to the person or organization by showing that This is your jam. You love what they do or you love what they're about. Then you answer these questions in the most succinct way possible. Why you, why them, why now? Why you, why them, why now? Why you? Why is your work? Why are you the proper person for this opportunity? Meaning, make a case for yourself or your work or your writing, why it's relevant, why it's relevant to them. Why are they the best fit for your work or why are they the best fit to come on to your podcast or to collaborate with you? So bring them into it so it doesn't just feel like you're knocking on their door, but more looking for a partnership or collaboration. Why now? Bring in some current relevance. Why does your work matter right now? Why does this piece of writing matter right now? Why are you the best person for the job right now? Why you, why them, why now is always helpful as a way of really focusing your pitch and making it short and sweet. So let me give you some examples. If I am proposing to present at a conference 
and I am emailing someone, I'll find the best person to email. I'll tell them something about the conference or their keynotes or whomever that I love. I'll try to have some kind of connection or referral if possible. And then I'll get into the why me? What do I have to offer to this conference that might be unique? What is my particular area of expertise? Well, usually I talk about that I'm a creative nonfiction writer, that I primarily focus in women's writing or helping women develop and publish their stories and books, right? So that's the angle that I take. Why them? So why is this a good fit for the type of panels or presentations that I'm trying to lead? Okay, well, I noticed that they are paying particular attention to having a more diverse set of speakers, including more women. I noticed that this year their theme is XYZ, and here's how I would tie into it. I can offer new unique views on things they haven't talked about at a writing conference, like podcasting. I just try to look at whatever they've offered in the past and see how I fit in, but also how I offer something new and different and unique. And then why now? I try to make a case for why my workshop title and subject matter would be really important for this year's conference in particular. Then I always have a bit of bio information, biography information. And here's the key. Really fine tune and categorize your bios by who or what you're pitching. So I have about 10 different short bios, depending on who or what I am contacting. So I have my bio for uh, conferences and speaking engagements that I'm proposing. I have a different bio for when I'm doing some kind of podcasting work. I have a different bio for when I'm pitching an article or an essay. I have a different bio when I'm looking to lead a yoga nidra workshop or retreat. Why? Well, because the yoga nidra organization might not care about my MFA, but they do care that I got my certification in Yoga Nidra and that I've presented at these uh, wellness centers or retreat centers, right? So different places and different people care about different background areas within your life. So they don't want to read a 500-word bio about all the things you've ever done in your life. So when I am pitching a magazine, I even have separate bios for that. If I'm pitching literary magazines, I show where I've been published for literary magazines. If I'm pitching wellness magazines, I have a list of the wellness magazines that I've been featured in so that they can see that other places have featured my work. And so fine-tune your bio to where you are pitching or submitting or proposing and have a Word document somewhere that has all these different bios so you don't have to make up a new one each time. You can copy and paste. And if you say, but I don't have any of those accolades yet, that is okay. 
you don't have to focus on your lack of experience. You can simply show some area of expertise that you have that might be vaguely related. So even if you don't have a publication byline history, but you're pitching a place to try to get your writing in there, you can show that, all right, well, I'm writing an article about blah, 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 which includes references to social work, and I'm a social worker, (laughs) meaning I have a right to be writing about this subject because I have an expertise. Any way that you can show a connection to the material that you're proposing is key. And then at the end of your short, sweet pitch, always, always thank the person for their time or consideration and let them know that the invitation is a standing one or that if now's not the right time for them, um, that you are available or you would always love for them to think of you in the future. Acknowledge that they're busy and that maybe even if now's not the right time, in the future it might be. So when I have pitched myself to be on certain podcasts, I have said at the end of the pitch, if you don't need speakers for this fall, if you don't need guests for this fall, please do keep me in mind for your future season. I'm always happy to circle back around in the future. Something to that effect so that they know that you can be kept on their radar even if now is not the right time. Okay. Then you might even think about batching pitches. So I have these brave days where I go, okay, today is a day where I'm going to pitch and propose a lot of writing conferences. So I'm going to have a list of the different writing conferences where I want to present at, and I am going to pitch a bunch of them in one day. I'm just going to do it all today. (laughs) Or today's the day where I'm going to reach out and offer my yoga nidra services at different yoga centers or retreat centers or wellness centers, and I'm just going to do it all. So batching the pitches and having them all happen on one morning It gives you momentum. It gets you in the groove. You might also be using most of the same material, just personalized from person to person or organization to organization, but you might be reusing a lot of the same content, and that's okay. So you might send out five brave emails in one day, and that's awesome because then they're all out in the ether, and then you go about your life, and you forget you sent them, and you never know when those people might respond back to you. So having a batch, a brave day batch where you're like, okay, today's the day, six brave emails all around a certain subject. I'm going to send them all, or I'm going to send one essay to six places. Um, That's called simultaneous submitting, or I'm going to pitch six different people to be a guest on my YouTube channel. Who knows? Whatever is your fancy. I'm going to contact six different galleries to see if I can get my work in their upcoming exhibition. This is the batching to create a brave day. And then you go to press send. And then you second guess everything and then you stare at the email for about an hour and then you spell check and you spell check and you put it through Grammarly and then you read it out loud and then you him and you ha. If you're anything like me, that's what you do. 
And then you finally say these words that I borrowed from Susie Moore, who wrote a fabulous book called Let It Be Easy. I say to myself, Nadine, sweetheart, let it be easy. And I go, send. And I cringe and I close my eyes and I look away. (laughs) And then I panic and go, God, I hope there were no typos in there. And then I take a breath and I move on to the next. So letting it be easy means not overthinking it. That's the, the thing that holds people back the most from the pitch. You might write your whole pitch. You might be ready to go. And it's the second guessing the, oh, who am I? And no, this should be more complicated. And I should really put more in there. I have to tell you, the shorter, the better with the pitch. Think about being on the receiving end. Again, I know I mentioned it before, but think about it. If someone was coming to you to offer their services to you and they sent a seven paragraph email and then they added more documents and you would go, does this person not respect my time? Don't underestimate the power of a simple, easy pitch. And if they want to know more, they'll get in touch with you. That's the point, actually. So sometimes less is better because it might pique their interest enough that they respond and say, tell me more. You don't have to put it all out there. Finally, follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. I'm the queen of the follow up. I believe in it wholeheartedly because I have seen that that makes all the difference. So one is just pressing send because most people don't do that. And two, the majority of them do not follow up. I always follow up. So I put a reminder in my calendar, whatever time frame feels appropriate, whether it be two weeks, a month, three months, whatever it might be, that it feels appropriate to follow up with the person or organization. I always do. There are a couple different ways to send the follow-up. One, you simply just copy and repaste the email. It's like, okay, you're just sending it again, almost as if you didn't send it before. A different way to follow up is just, hello, I know you're super busy. I can assume you're super busy, whatever, acknowledging that they're very busy. Just wanted to make sure you got this. Thanks so much. Or just wanted to see if you have had a chance yet to consider my essay. Just wanted to see where you are in your consideration process. So quick, short, respectful, do not badger people and follow up and see. That is all. You can also be friendly and just talk about, you know, whatever is going on, like, hope you're enjoying the, the lovely fall weather. I had a note in my calendar to remember to follow up with you about this, but just wanted to make sure you got this or wanted to touch base with you, wanted to see where you are in the consideration process. That is it. Follow up. This is how I got my agent back when I was shopping around my memoir was because of the follow-up. I had sent out pitches to 30 agents. I had like three brave days in a row where I had just 10 agents each day, just boom, boom, boom. Oh my gosh, it was so much work leading up to that. And some people responded back interested, but I really wanted to work with one particular agent and she hadn't gotten back to me. And so I circled back and I said, you know, that I've had some consideration interest from um, some other agents, but you are my first choice 
quite honestly, and I just wanted to see if you've had a chance to look at my query and my first pages. So say that. If other people are interested in your work or whatever it is, respond back and let the other parties know there has been interest and you want to see where they are in their consideration process. This is the best case kind of scenario for your writing. If one magazine says, yes, we're interested, and you've sent the piece to seven different places, you circle back with the other people and you say, there has been interest, but, and be honest, if, if some other place is your first choice, let them know, okay? Okay. So the follow-up has helped in so many different situations for me. I have followed up and that's how I've been able to present at certain conferences or be a guest on podcast. I've followed up with guests to ask if they wanted to be on this podcast. I've always made sure though to be friendly and respectful and to also put a disclaimer, right? Like I won't follow up anymore about this. I promise not to bother you, badger you, bug you, whatever it might be. Know that the invitation is always there. So I also know when to stop following up. I follow up and I kind of read the vibe. And if it's like, okay, what they're trying to do is tell me no, then I just leave it alone. <laughs> you'll you'll read the room. You'll understand. You'll you'll know. All right, my friends. Your homework. Have a brave day this week. Have a brave day. Send a couple of brave emails. You'll be amazed at what can happen and inevitably when someone says no or someone does not get back to you because that is a huge part of what happens. That is okay. It is nothing personal, I promise you. It is a numbers game about opportunities. It is simply you going, all right, I'm going to email the next place or person or what have you. Remember this, my friends. If multiple people, however, are saying the same thing, say, is problematic with the same essay, then you might go, hmm. Maybe all seven of them have a point. <laughs> but if it's simply you're not hearing back from a person here or there, or you're getting a friendly no, just keep on going on and put your work and yourself out in the world. And so if you are looking to publish your personal essays, I've been getting some messages. When are you going to lead your next cohort? Because this one was sold out. So I'm leading the next one in January, but it's not too early to sign up. I've put it up on the website, needingkennyjohnstone.com. You can go to the workshops tab and you can sign up for publish the personal there. I keep the group small because I give verbal feedback on your essays and the group gives feedback on your three essays. So it's intimate, it's successful, it's incredible, and I would love to have you in the group. So if this is something that is brave for you, just know that the opportunity is there. Thank you to Michelle Rado, who is also brave and has a podcast about bravery called Daring to Tell. <laughs> you should check it out. It's amazing. And finally, remember everyone, every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next week.